Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Uh, Jonathan Edwards said, A good minister that has the presence of God with him in his work is the very greatest blessing that ever God bestows upon his people next to himself. Uh, you know, today, uh, as we, we get ready to have this, it's very weird, a, a sermon kind of to a one person, but kind of to all of us. Um, today, pastors are expected to wear a lot of hats, uh, many hats, leader, shepherd, uh, recruiter, counselor, cheerleader, coach, chaplain, visionary, uh, peacemaker, handholder. And then somewhere, somewhere along the way, uh, the preacher is called to, well, preach the word and, and minister to the people. And then on top of that, often every single member of the church has their own personal job description uh, for their pastor and, and their own understanding for what he needs to be doing. And because of that, all these expectations only kind of create confusion and frustration for the members and then burnout for the pastor. And so, Josh, as you begin a, a new pastoral ministry, uh, it's vital. Um, and even as, as Westminster begins a new relationship with a new pastor, um, it's important uh, that we take kind of whatever expectations we have about pastors and about Josh, and we take those and we compare them to Scripture. Because in doing so, we may very well find that what we think of as a pastor and what we've kind of seen depicted as, you know, as movies in movies as a pastor um, may not be what Scripture says uh, as a minister. And so in a sea of expectations of what pastors are called to do, this evening, we're going to look at a small passage that brings massive clarity. Uh, you know, uh, John Wooden, uh, was, of course, was one of the greatest basketball coaches, college basketball coaches of all time. Uh, when he was at UCLA, there was a span of 12 years where his team won 10 national championships, uh, including seven in a row. At one point, his teams won a record 88 consecutive games. And so he coached some of the greatest players really to ever play the game, players like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Bill Walton, just to name a, a few during his time at UCLA. And so you would think that a coach that great must coach just like great skills and flashy skills, like this is how you dunk, and this is how you drive the lane, and this is how you perfect that jumper. But no. Do you know how he started basketball practice every single year? Uh, he would gather up his players, star players, and he began every year by showing his players the right way to put their socks on. Like, this is how you put your socks on if you play for me. And it sounds so small, but he knew, and he'd been at it long enough, he to knew that there wasn't going to be any dunks or driving the lane if his players couldn't take care of their feet. Well, this evening, the Apostle Paul is pulling Timothy aside. He's pulling all of us aside. And he's saying, look, look, everybody has these, these thoughts of all the flashy things that pastors, are, they need to do, right? But Timothy, Josh, first things first, this is how you put your socks on. Uh, this is the most fundamental job description of a pastor. Okay? All right, so then, also, one more quick thing. Yes, this is an ordination sermon. And so a lot of this is geared specifically to Josh. However, at the same time, this has absolutely everything to do with you as well. 
Uh, even if you're not a member of this church, I hope you're going to have some takeaways here. Because we live in a messed up world, and, and we're constantly bombarded every day with pain and with suffering and death. You know, there are days, weeks, entire seasons of our life where the world, our sinful flesh, and, and the devil seem to have our number, and we're weary. And there are times that we're, we're wrecked with shame and doubt and fear. And we need to be reminded of the truth that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, week in and week out to be reminded that our souls are restless until they find their rest in God. To be reminded that if we are in Christ, we are forgiven and beloved of the Father, no matter what the world or whoever else says about you. And we need to be reminded that the power of the gospel right, really does change people. That sin and death don't have the final say, but in Jesus we truly have a beautiful future. And so we need that. And uh, Westminster and friends, one of the main ways God reminds his people is through his servants. Um, which really shows his power, by the way, right? But that God would call weak and fallible men to minister, to break the word and to, to break the bread of life for his people. Or ordain people to preach the gospel so that you can hear and believe and spend eternity with God because faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. And who can hear without a preacher of the message? I mean, God could have used anything, right? I mean, God can, he's literally spoken through donkeys before, right? I mean, he, but he chooses to use his servants and his preach word to encourage and equip his people in the things of the gospel. So please know that Josh is not the Christ. Tim Keller is not the Christ. No pastor is the Christ. But Josh and other pastors do have the unique call and privilege to point us to the Christ, to Jesus. And if that is not happening, then you don't have a pastor wherever you go to church. So not only is this to Josh, but this is to all of us because this describes the pastor your soul desperately needs. Okay? And so with that, let's hear God's word. First Timothy 1, and we'll read 11 or 4. First Timothy 4, read verses 11 through 16. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth. But set, the, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is God's word. Um, let's pray. Uh, Father, now as we spend the next few moments this evening just thinking through this passage, we ask that your spirit would come uh, and truly give us ears to hear and, and minds to understand, hearts to receive uh, what you have for us this evening. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, just two, look, we're going to have plenty of preachers talking tonight, so just two quick takeaways uh, for now, okay? Uh, first, the pastor the church needs does not neglect his gift, does not neglect the gift. And throughout the New Testament, we find that if God calls someone, uh, he also gifts that, that someone. Um, he, he equips the called. 
And, and I don't know if it was that Timothy was young or if he was timid, but Paul regularly had to remind Timothy of that. You know, even in Second Timothy, he writes, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. And so Paul's saying, look, if, Timothy, if you had any doubts, remember, you were called by God and you were set apart. It's not just you, but other people have seen you and vouched for you, vouched for your calling, vouched for the gifting you have to preach the gospel. And so in a similar way, Josh, you too have experienced and responded to an internal call of God uh, to the gospel ministry. Unless one day you forget that or you have doubts Please remember, uh, well, first just look around and remember these people here, but please remember that people have confirmed that call. Uh, everyone in this room tonight has recognized gifts that you have for ministry and what the Lord has been doing in your life. Uh, your home church has endorsed you. I mean, we've, we've used tithe money to send you to seminary. That's how much we believe in you. Um, you've completed a Presbytery internship. Uh, where you exercise and you confirmed your call and gifts. And then an entire presbytery full of elders examined you thoroughly, your past, your testimony, your sense of call, your giftedness, your sermons, written exams, oral exams. And the, the reason it was so thorough was because they examined you to see if you could be entrusted to preach the gospel. Um, and you passed all that with flying colors. Um, and then tonight, we're about to have, we're having a very special ordination service in which in just a bit, elders are going to come and lay hands on you, recognizing that God has called you and the church has endorsed you as a minister of the word. So don't doubt that call, nor the gift that God has given you, but seek to fan it into flame. You know, God has, has gifted you for preaching the gospel and building up the church. Don't neglect your gift. God's been doing something in you for a long time. Uh, and he is turning you loose tonight, which brings us to the second and really final takeaway. How is that possible? How is it possible not to neglect it? The pastor the church needs is, is one who immerses his whole self in the gospel of grace, whole self in the gospel of grace. Um, it, it just oozes out. Paul says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. In other words, it's holistic it's it's orthodoxy and orthopraxy, right? It's it's how you think and how you live. It's you know doctrine. It's you know is the gospel informing what you believe and teach, or is it the culture, or whatever the flavor of the week is, or whatever is trending in the given any given second? Because the congregation will know, right? Uh, their their BS sensors will go off when um, you get off of off of gospel. Uh, to be the pastor a church needs is to regularly walk those ancient paths that God has given you, anchored to Christ, ordinary means of grace. And then Paul says, watch your life. You know, are you, are you preaching the gospel of grace from the pulpit and yet preaching something else with how you live your life? Um, are you resting in grace? Are you pursuing holiness? Are you not taking yourself too seriously? Uh, so lean into that, Josh, because there will be times where you feel misunderstood. There will be times in ministry where you feel all alone. Uh, it is a lonely road. Uh, the gospel calls a hard call. And there will be times where all you have is the gospel. And please know that that's okay. Because week in and week out, that is exactly where God wants you to know that the gospel of Jesus is enough. Okay, There's your power. And so the gospel humbles pastors. It humbles us all. <laughs> 
because it reveals that we aren't all that in a bag of chips, that we aren't the great hope. Um, no, the pastor is a sinner too, whose only hope is Jesus. And you're, so you're just one beggar going to other beggars, telling them where the bread is. And having experienced the power of God's saving grace to them in Jesus, uh, the pastor you need responds not by throwing out pithy morals from the pulpit or how to do more and try harder. No, but the point that they, they point you to the one who came to seek and save the loss. Um, they know that the gospel isn't a program to be worked, uh, but it's a person to be worshipped. And so there's no wonder that Paul tells Timothy and through him all pastors that if they're going that, that that if they're going to be immersed in the gospel, then they need to be immersed where we learn the gospel, God's word. So Paul says, look, the pastor you need is a man of one book, man of one message. So Paul calls them to be devoted to to practice it, command it, teach it, exhort it. In other words, a pastor is someone who has been conquered by God's word. So look at look at verse 13. Paul writes, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. In other words, the pastor the church needs doesn't give self personal self-help talks. Um, the pastor the church needs doesn't dabble in pop psychology or political hobby horses. Uh, it doesn't look for any reason to go off on some tangent. Uh, but God's message is the message, week in, week out, week in, week out. And so when we gather to worship um, for Sunday school, uh, for worship, we read and we pray and we sing the scriptures. Because when God's word is read, it is, it's set loose from the call to worship to the benediction. We're under God's word. And Paul says, pastors, that's what you preach. And, and if you exhort anything... Like that's what you exhort. And you know, to exhort means to to strongly urge someone to do something. And so which means your preaching, your exhortation is more than just transfer of information. And, and it's more than just a lecture and it's not a running commentary. It is it's not a TED talk. But preaching is theology that is set on fire. Like it's taking God's word and then it's actually like placing it into the hearts of the people where they are in their lives, uh, into their souls. It's pleading with them. It's emotional, and it's not philosophical ramblings. Uh, it's not what you heard on CNN or Fox News, not even Facebook. No, it is nothing but the pure, uncut, 100-proof gospel will do. So it's taken the reality that in Jesus, God looks at sinners like me and like you, and calls you a saint. And it's inviting people to experience that. Not in theory, not just on their good days, but in the middle of the family crisis, right? Uh, in the middle of the marriage that's fallen apart. Um, in the middle of that meeting that they're nervous about, or that diagnosis they just received, and they don't know what, we just don't know what we're about to do. It, it, it is taking God's word and cutting through the fluff and telling us that we really can trust God's promises in our real-life problems. But Josh and friends, it's also knowing that, the, that biblical preaching brings real change. You know, Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote, Preaching is meant to affect the whole person at the very center of life. That preaching is an earnest appeal in which we respond and say, I, I can't go back. 
I can't go back to life as I did before. This has done something to me. I'm a different person as a result of this. And so, uh, Westminster and, and friends, can we pray that for Josh? Uh, that by the power of the Spirit, he would be set on fire uh, for Jesus and by Jesus. And can we pray it for ourselves that God would use someone like Josh to equip and grow us uh, to see that, yes, we, we are really big sinners, uh, but we have an even bigger Savior. And by the Spirit, may we respond to the gospel call to repent and believe, not bitterly, but to taste and to see that God really is good. Now, that may not be the pastor you always want, but, oh, that is the pastor we need. Amen? Amen. Well, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for just the simple reminder uh, of just the day-in, day-out, ordinary means of grace, uh, reminding us of the gospel uh, in our real life. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would um, continue uh, to bless this church, this congregation. Um, Lord, we long to see your church healthy and vibrant and gospel-centered, missional. And Lord, may you uh, be with us now uh, as we move uh, into this ordination and installation service. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Josh, it is a privilege to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you. Um, I do want to read out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let me pray just briefly before we read God's word. Father, we thank you that you have revealed to us of yourself in these pages. And we praise you that you carry us along by the Spirit as we read. Come and apply it to us even now in these few moments, especially to Josh as we point him in the right direction. By your grace, by your Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Deuteronomy 6, this is verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Amen. Um, this is one of those weird parts of an ordination service where all of y'all are here in the room, but Josh and I are going to talk for a second. Um, I hope it's a blessing to, to all of you who listen, especially perhaps to you ministers who are present. Josh, you know that Deuteronomy is just a rehearsal of what the Lord has handed down to his people Israel. Moses is sort of going back over everything he's said so far. And in that part of chapter 6, he summarizes the whole law. It's the same summation that the Lord points back to in Mark 12, right? That, that the law is that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and might. Um, but we don't often go past verse 5, right? Verse 5 is really good, but the rest of that, that paragraph um, really emphasizes this fact that, that that love to God is to characterize all of our life. Everything. I mean, it's it's really kind of crazy how many different ways. It's it's your heart. It's your family. It's when you sit in the house, you should talk about it. When you walk by the way, you should talk about it. When you lie down, so I suppose you should dream about it too. And then when you rise up, it's on your mind. When you get up in the morning, 
You bind them on your hands and on your eyes, and you write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Our love to God is to characterize everything about who we are. Every part of our whole life is all about God. And so here's my charge to you tonight, brother. Very simply put, but very difficult. Love God. That, that's your job, is to love God. Um, and in order to encourage you in that, that constant and perpetual charge, I have three imperatives for you. And I think they came from somebody else, but I can't remember who they came from. So they're mine or somebody's, and here they are for you. Just love God, love his word, and love his people. Love God, love his word, and love his people. Of course, in the first place, loving God, you, you cannot do this on your own, and you know this. It's been said already um, from this pulpit and in and, and the prayer that was just had, that, that God initiated the love towards you in the first place, that we only love because, <laughs> because he has first loved us, right? It's, it's what Paul said, that you were dead. But God, being rich in mercy because of that great love with which he has loved us, has made us alive in Christ. Richard Sibb says, can, can you imagine that any soul can see itself in the glass of God's love in Christ? That he can see Christ in the gospel and then he can see God reconciled to him in particular and not love God in return and be altered? How can we know what God has done for us and not love him in response? God has loved you, brother. Um, Sibs again says that this gospel love works. He says love is full of invention and tries to please the person loved as much as it can in every way. And so I'd simply say to you, as you seek to love God in the first place, that you must neglect other things in favor of him and of Christ. And it's, it's Psalm 73 where the psalmist reflects, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And so you will urge these people to make use of the ordinary means of grace, and so you also must make use of those means. They are to be official duties of your office. They are your lifeblood in ministry, and the Lord is worthy of all your pain and diligence in those things. You're going to have to stay up late and get up early. You're going to have to kill yourself and bleed for these people, but this is what the Lord's called us to, so that we might show our love to him as we show our love for them. Yeah, so love God. Secondly, as we seek to apply this, I charge you to love his word. Um, it's where he's revealed himself to us. It's the means by which we have come to love him as the spirits applied it to us. Um, and so it is also the means by which we continue to love him as the spirit works upon us. It's not as if we come to Christ through the ministry of his word, and then we can kind of go off and do whatever we want. Plenty of people try that. We see it all the time. We must stick close to this. Um, your ordination vow says that you have, have promised to be zealous and faithful in maintaining the truths of the gospel. And so, uh, Richard earlier kind of rehearsed what you've done so far. All these, I mean, how many lists could we make of all the things that you've had to do just to get to right now? Um, after all of your seminary work and all of your ordination exams, you may feel like you have reached sort of the pinnacle of biblical study. And we feel that way, but we're wrong. 
because this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning of your journey and of your study. These scriptures are, are to be the thing to which you dedicate yourself. Um, you know, ministers get these ideas that we're going to devote some of our time every week to reading so-and-so and reading this particular topic and studying this aspect of church history and keeping up our Greek and Hebrew. And I don't mean to make light of any of those things, but um, there, are, there are plenty of worse things to study. You should steer clear of those, but, but there will never be anything better to study than the Bible. And you will never be a better minister than when you are bathing in these waters regularly, continually, perpetually. You love God's word. Um, and, and I want to add something that you and I have talked about. Richard probably shudders when I said I'm going to add something. That's Do not let our doctrinal standards slip away from you. We've seen this happen too often, too recently. Too many men these days learn only enough Westminster to get through ordination exams and then let it fall away, such that one minister has recently called our doctrinal standards put to use in this wrong way, just pietistical shibboleths, something that can be forgotten after the fact. We must stand against such arrogant practice. Our, our standards, yes, as everyone will, will repeat over and over again, are under the Bible, yes, but they aren't they far above us? far above us. Used next to the Bible, the Westminster Confession and Catechisms are the best tool for maintaining what you have vowed to be zealous and faithful, to preserve the peace and the purity of the church. You, you can do nothing better than to stand on the standards as you hold up the Bible. Don't forget them. Love God, love his word. Thirdly, brother, love God's people. You need to pursue the flock here at Westminster. That's what Paul tells the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And I'm going to start uh, to explain this by simply saying, um, in order to care for the flock here, you first have to care for your flock at home. I apologize. I haven't yet met your wife. Where is she? Um, that is the most important person in your life. And, and your children are next. And you can remind them that they're after her. She's the most important person in your life. You must shepherd her and your children before you can shepherd this church. If you can't feed them, what use are you here? Make time for her, pray for her, nurture her, love her as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Um, bring your children up in the discipline and the in instruction of the Lord. Aim at their hearts and not at their behavior. You know these things. Point them to Jesus in everything. John Flavel unfortunately said, I say, just simply because it hurts so much that a man is what he is in his family. That's first. Secondly, as you seek to pursue and, and shepherd these people, be faithful in preaching and teaching. You know, we have a lot of dreams of what we'll do with our time, but you're going to need to study a lot whenever it's time to preach or teach. And these people will understand. And you might not see them much those days you're studying, but they'll understand. The other way and the other thing we often forget is that you must pray for them. You know, if I could change anything about our ordination questions, I would add something about prayer for the people, about a vow of, of praying for the people. There's really not anything in there about that. 
Preaching is often seen as our most important work, and it is. But right next to it is prayer, the ministry of the word and prayer. So give time to praying for God's people who are under your care. And you know what? You will be blessed, and your preaching will be blessed as you pray for it to be put to work in the lives of the people by the work of the Spirit. So pursue the flock here as you seek to love God's people. But the second way you love God's people is by being a good churchman. Um, Loving God's people doesn't stop with weekly congregational employments, but it rises to Presbyterian General Assembly. Um, You and I have already spoken about about how desperately the church needs good churchmen uh, to lead her. And, you know, don't get too excited too quickly. Don't go to GA in two weeks and stand up every time there's a chance to, you know, open, open up at the mic. And, you know, don't try to change that thing that's just your pet peeve right away. But, but you get engaged and you stay engaged and you trust the Lord to work through meager men like us to preserve the peace and purity of his church. So you love God, brother. You love his word and you love his people. And, and by, and in closing, I simply would, would quote Psalm seven, uh, 27. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. God is the one who makes your work fruitful. You, you aim at God and you aim at his word and you aim at his people and then you wait on him to pour out his blessing. He moved towards you, right? And all of, the, all of what you do, even just as a believer and as a minister, is a response to him. It's a waiting upon him. And so you care, your care for God's people is only effective because of God's effective work in them by his spirit. So you obey and you pray and you expectantly wait for God to do unbelievable things. And he will, he will. Um, I don't know who said it to me, but I'll say it to you as we close. You know, you, you died to self when God drew you to Christ. May the Lord grant you the same death in your service to his church. And may God help you. Amen. Once again, I'll say it's an honor to be here. Josh, thanks for uh, thanks for asking me to, to do this. I'm Bryce Davis, and I serve on staff at Providence Presbyterian Church which is where Ian Kaiser, uh, formerly Westminster guy, uh, it's where he's at. So I'm, I'm Ian's number two and I've loved, uh, loved being with Ian. Um, I, I, people have told me from this church, we really, we really miss Ian and I know why. Um, so shortly after Ian became our pastor, uh, he went to lunch with Josh and he just asked me, he was like, Hey, do you want to come along? And I did. And I met Josh and somehow, some way, me and him just struck up a friendship. We started texting regularly and calling. We had seminary classes together. During COVID, we started video messaging one another on an app called Marco Polo, uh, which older folks in the room are going to be like, what's that? And younger folks in the room are going to be like, who still uses that? Uh, me and Josh do. Y'all, like for years, there's seldom been a week that I haven't communicated uh, with Josh. Um, my daughter on Saturday mornings asks, like, are we going to say hey to Josh? Uh, because this just, she's just used to it. Uh, he's a guy that I know I can be open with. I can share something big happens in my life. Something big happens in, in ministry. There's difficulty. I'm calling Josh. I can honestly tell you, if I lived in Greenwood, Mississippi, I would be proud to have Josh as my pastor. 
Um, y'all, tonight is a big deal. Uh, it's a big deal in this congregation. And uh, y'all, we believe that the session and the congregation and the members here, they haven't just put their noodles together and decided, hey, let's call Josh for this work because he's a fit man for the job. Um, we believe that the Lord has raised him up and called him to be here for this, this work here. Tonight is a reminder that Jesus is making good on his promise. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That Jesus hasn't taken his eye off the ball. Jesus hasn't let a single spinning plate fall. Jesus hasn't got sidetracked. Jesus keeps his promises. Um, to quote the book that bears the namesake of our ordinand, uh, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord has made to the people of Israel has failed. All came to pass and all will continue to come to pass. So I've been charged with charging you guys, uh, the congregation. Y'all, just like the people of Israel, so, so much of the time, our failures stem from our frustration that God isn't doing what we want him to do. Um, and one of the ways that that will kind of work itself out on Christian carpet is that we'll get frustrated about what's happening in our churches. That Maybe like the thing that we want to happen isn't happening or the things that we don't want to happen, they're happening. And sometimes, sometimes we take that out on our pastors. Um, and so we lose sight of the reality that these men, that God has called to this high office, these offices, they're not man-made. They're instituted by God. Um, Josh Reagan isn't being ordained just because the right people think he's the right man for the job and under his leadership, the boat won't sink. We believe that God is presently involved in working in his life, calling him to this moment, that he has called him to this work. Because without the dynamic presence of God in his life, you bet your bottom dollar, his ministry will tank. Now to the congregation, a word about this man and this mighty calling. He will fail. He will grow weary. He will let you down. Let's turn our attention to Hebrews 13, verses 7 and 8, as we wrap up our evening together. This is God's word. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now listen, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's pray. Father, with the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together be pleasing in thy sight, our rock and our redeemer. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all, think for a minute about, about what God is like. Uh, God is wise. God is all-powerful. Uh, God, uh, God is good. God is holy. And God does not change. Like, God does not change. If there's one thing that you can count on in other human beings, it's that they will change. Uh, this weekend, I went to a graduation. It's that time of year. One of the things that high school seniors will write in the yearbooks of other high school seniors is like two, two words, terrible advice, never change. I love high schoolers. I work with high schoolers, but if like high schoolers never changed, the world would be a bad place. Um, many of you, you're married. When you first got married, you did not intend on your spouse changing. Uh, Stanley Hauerwas, he said, we never know whom we marry. We just think we do. Or even if we first marry the right person, give it a while. He or she will change. Not only do people change, circumstances change. 
uh, uh, technologies change, groups change, jobs change, systems change, the seasons change, bad things change into good things, small problems change into big problems, uh, little kids change into massive kids. As Bob Dylan says, the times they are a-changing. And for all of us, we continue to change and change and change in a downward trajectory. Like the, the muffins that I got from Costco, they will change, not for the better. Same thing with me. Uh, as Ecclesiastes says, the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit back to the God who made it, or back to the God who gave it. And so what does the author of Hebrews say? He says, Jesus Christ is the same. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Um, and as we live in a strange and unpredictable world where it feels like, um, it often feels like our culture has just untethered itself from the sun, there's a lot of comfort in hearing that Jesus doesn't change. Um, he, y'all, there's so much comfort embedded in that. One of the great comforts there is that Jesus isn't going to change his mind about you. Jesus isn't going to change his mind on whether or not he loves you, because he doesn't change. Y'all, that verse, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, that's a Hobby Lobby verse. Like, that's a verse that you'd get written on a sign in fancy script, and you could sell it at Hobby Lobby. But y'all, look at the context there. He says, remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. A few months ago, I was at a hospital making a visit and there was a guy in the waiting room. He was a, he was a fellow pastor. And because I'm what you'd call a young buck, he said to me, I feel for you. He was an older guy. He said, I feel for you because the world that you're entering into to do ministry is not the same world that it was whenever I started to do ministry. And he's right. Back 30 years ago, it might boost your social capital to be a pastor. Um, even if you weren't religious, being a pastor was honored. And those days are rapidly receding. My parents, or my family, my dad, my uncle, they owned a tire shop in Byram, Mississippi. I've never lived outside of Hines County. Uh, Byram, Mississippi. And frequently, whenever there was a pastor in the tire shop, like folks would pay for the oil change of the pastor. Y'all can keep doing that if you want to like keep up that tradition. But y'all like, there was just honor among the pastor. And those days, they're receding because the world, it, it is changing. But the one who walks among the lampstands, he's not changing. The one who sought and bought the church, the people for his own possession, he's not changing. Uh, the one who's conquered through whom we too will conquer, he's not changing. Um, Josh isn't just a guy who's committing to serve the church and shepherding you. He's someone to watch and imitate. Because here's the brass tacks. Josh is doing something that every last one of us ought to be doing, and that is following Jesus. Imperfectly following Jesus. Imperfectly following Jesus in his home. Imperfectly following Jesus in his, in his private life. Imperfectly following Jesus in his relationships. And his office does not insulate him from the ability to disappoint. And there's space for that because his calling dictates that he's not going to be pointing you to himself, but instead pointing you back to Jesus because Jesus doesn't change. And here's where I want to charge y'all. Richard's already said this. One of the pastors in this room has said this already. He's not Jesus. And y'all, that is the understatement of the year. But we have to be reminded of that. Um, as you remember, 
would you remember that as you think about this little church here in this little town and this little state on this little globe, he is not the God man, which means this before your pastors are called to be faithful to anything else, they're called to be faithful to the God man. That's the primary calling. He's not called to be faithful to your program. He's not called to be faithful to your soapbox issue. He's not called to be faithful to your great idea. He's called to be faithful to Jesus. And y'all, you need that. You need a pastor whose God looms larger in his horizons than you do. You need a pastor who fears God much more than he fears you. Um, and just as Jesus carried a cross, so will he. Um, he will carry burdens that y'all you will never know about. Uh, he will make sacrifices that never come to your attention. He will be the wide receiver of grumbling and complaints and sometimes even belly aching about things that are here today and gone tomorrow. He will take blows on the chin and he will show up the next day. You know, one of my biggest fears that I contend with in ministry is disappointing people. Like I want people to be happy in the Bryce Davis department. I don't want to disappoint people. And time and again, Ian will quote this, this great jewel of leadership advice. He says, leadership, this is a quote from Todd Balshinger. Uh, this, isn't, this isn't novel to Ian. But he says, leadership is disappointing your people at a rate that they can handle. Now, just because Josh, Richard, the session, the deacons have disappointed you, that doesn't mean that they've been unfaithful. In fact, consider, it might mean that they actually were being faithful. Josh loves you. I know that. I know he loves y'all. And he needs y'all. Three things that you can do for him. Pray for him. Uh, in verse 19, the author of Hebrews, he says, Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. Um, pray that God would keep him faithful. Pray for the clarity of his conscience. Uh, pray that he would prioritize his wife and family, just like Ben said. Y'all, don't let him sacrifice his family on the altar of ministry. Um, pray that God, y'all, pray that he would not go a day in his ministry or in his life that he would not feel the firm grip of his father holding on to him. Um, that as he makes difficult phone calls and mourns with those who mourn and ministers to those who suffer, he would feel that grip all the tighter. Pray that God would keep him grounded in Jesus and frequent in his word. There's an old hymn, deeper, deeper into the love of Jesus daily let me go. Higher, higher into the school of wisdom, more of grace to know. Pray that Josh would trust King Jesus. My son, Leo, he's 18 months old and he has no fear. I wish he had more fear, honestly. But he will do this thing when he goes out into our backyard. We have a swing set and he will run headlong towards the swings. And he'll like, you know, get himself to where like the swing set is on his chest and he'll just let himself go. And I see that and I think to myself, man, I wish I trusted Jesus that way. Y'all pray that Josh would trust Jesus that way. That, G that, that he would sense that joy of trusting Jesus with all of his weight. Pray for him. Second, encourage him. If you have a complaint or a constructive criticism, would you pray this prayer before you go to talk to your pastors, elders, or deacons? Father, please help me to be part of solutions and not problems. Pray that prayer. Y'all, sometimes ministry feels like you're trying to make lemonade out of a bag of hot dogs. 
because you're running up against your own insecurity, your feelings of insufficiency, and you're feeling that weight of juggling so many things at once. Your kid caught a nasty stomach bug. You're praying that others don't get it, much less yourself. Your brother's birthday is this weekend, and you still don't know what you're going to get him. You have to finish the sermon you haven't started, and you also need to check in on the folks who really need to hear from their pastor. Y'all, would you be an encouragement to him? Would you be an encouragement to those whom God has put over you in the church, even when you disagree with them? Verse 17 of chapter 13 says, Let them serve with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I can just about assure you that there will not be a day in the ministry of Josh and Richard where they will be over-encouraged. And third, finally, follow him. Follow him. Y'all lean into what the author of Hebrews saying is saying here. One commentator, he said this, he said, the same Jesus who is with them is with you and he will be with those who come after us even to the end of the age. Yesterday, he was with our fathers. Today, he's with us. And tomorrow, he will be with our children. Now, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And if that's true, then all the promises concerning Jesus are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He rules the church He's what stands in between us and hell. He's the only mediator between God and man. He's the one who's conquered death. He's the one who rules the kingdom that will have no end. And he doesn't change and he's in charge. And remember that Josh Reagan only has the power that's conferred on him by King Jesus. And he serves at the pleasure of King Jesus. Pray with me. Father, we ask that you would bless Josh. I keep him steady and anchored in King Jesus. We ask it in his name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.